If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Well, here at the Tudor Dixon Podcast, we've been wanting to chat with former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich for some time now, but sometimes God's timing is best. And seriously, who better to break down the current goings on in Washington, D.C. than the former Speaker himself? Speaker Gingrich, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you. And you're right. These are very interesting times. It is. It is. And for so many reasons, because I have to tell you, we're watching what's happening in Washington, D.C. And for those who are listening out there, if you're not totally following everything that happens every day, a pretty major historic move occurred this week where we saw Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, put a motion out there to oust the speaker. And Kevin McCarthy was ousted from his position, which is shocking because it took eight Republicans really to team up with Democrats. Right now, we're trying to get Republicans to come together. And instead, we see Republicans teaming up with Democrats to oust Kevin McCarthy. But it on the ground, you hear a lot of folks who who are happy about this. And I think that maybe there's there's some confusion in the party as to how exactly things work in Washington. So, so Speaker Gingrich, I wanted to get your opinion on this because you've been pretty outspoken. You've even called these people traitors. So explain from your perspective, having been in this position, what this is doing to the party. Well, and, and let, me, let me draw a distinction. I think people have every right to be angry. Uh, you look at the border, you look at crime, you look at the price of food and gasoline, you look at uh, drug addiction, killing more Americans every year than we lost in the entire eight years of the Vietnam War. You look at the collapse of education. There's a lot of good reasons to be angry. Uh, the question is whether or not the people you ought to be angry at are Republicans or are left-wing Democrats who've been imposing the policies that are causing you personally so much pain. So I think in that sense, 
uh, the person who gets up and yells the loudest, I really am angry, attracts a certain crowd just because they feel at least someone's expressing their anger. Uh, the challenge is, if you are trying to get something positive done, if you're trying to actually pass something, uh, the Republicans in the House, for example, tried to pass a continuing resolution that cut spending by 8%, which was a significant effort. It was defeated, frankly, by conservatives. Uh, then they tried to pass a continuing resolution that would have cut 30%, which would have been enormous. It was defeated by conservatives. Uh, it wasn't good enough. So the not good enough crowd guaranteed in the end that the liberals win. Uh, and I think that that's something people have, you know, we simply have to communicate to people that if, if it's all or nothing, very often under our system, you get nothing. And since we're the party that wants to change things, uh, every time we get nothing, the left wins. And that's exactly what's been happening. I think that's a key point. I want to stay on that for a second because it, it, we're seeing this in Washington, D.C., but let's face it, we're seeing this across the country, whereas there is this division of folks who are saying, I'm a true patriot, I'm a true conservative, and I want all or nothing. And that's simply not how even the founding fathers knew the country would work. And I think that's been hard to bring people together because there is this faction that is like, no, if you are not a true, this word of true patriot or true conservative, then I am not with you. But ultimately, I think what you said there is key. Then you get nothing. And that's what we've seen so many times. But how do you get folks to really understand that that asking people to come together and compromise with your own party is not asking people to give up? Well, you know, I mean, Ronald, we, Ronald Reagan, we did, Clist uh, and I did a movie called Rendezvous with the Rest of Destiny about Ronald Reagan. And Reagan always said, that the key to a negotiation is to get to a negotiation. And if you can get 60 or 70 or 80% of what you want, take it and then come back next week and start negotiating again. But don't walk off with nothing if you can get 60 or 70 or 80%. And I think that unfortunately, uh, partly growing out of just the sheer frustration of dealing with uh, Republicans who didn't understand and frankly didn't govern very well, uh, people grew more and more bitter and they took a position of, if you don't give me exactly what I want, then I'm, I'm willing, I'd rather have nothing than have a compromise. Well, what that guarantees is that the left wins. And I think that's where we are right now. Frankly, I'm reporting to you today, having just talked with people in the House, uh, we're in a real mess. We have a very narrow majority. That majority is deeply split. I'm not, I'm not sure how they're going to put it back together. People are so angry at each other. Uh, and you could be in a situation where, for all practical purposes, the only Republican sector of the federal government will be helpless and divided, and that will allow the, the liberals who dominate the Senate and the White House to run over everything. And I, I think this is a very real danger that in the next few weeks you're going to see uh, conservatism basically isolated, and you're going to see the left in almost total control, which which is tragic and a huge break from two weeks ago. I mean, if you told me two weeks ago when I thought we really were moving towards big changes, the House Republican budget mm. members had reported out a balanced budget over the next decade, which is very hard to do. I'm, I was the speaker for the only four balanced budgets in your lifetime. I know how hard it is to balance the budget. Uh, they were making progress there. They're making progress with the investigations of the corruption in the Biden family. They're making progress with specific spending bills. All of that now is at risk. 
And I think all of it could potentially collapse in the next two weeks. Well, a survey that just came out from Insider Advantage says 53% of people want you to go back and do that job. They clearly know that that was the, the budget was balanced under a Speaker Gingrich. So, Mr. Speaker, is that in the future? Yeah, I don't think it's possible. I, I think in order to be Speaker of the House. It's not a no. Uh, no, no, I'm not. It's not a no. No, I, I, no it's, it's an impossible. I mean, I think impossible is a pretty good word for no. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I don't I can't imagine how you would lead the House if you weren't actually a member. The House is 435 independently elected high school class presidents. All of them arrive there. They all have strong egos or they wouldn't have run for office. They all have a lot of energy or they wouldn't have won. Uh, they all believe in whatever they believe in, which is 435 unique perspectives. And to listen to them carefully, get to know them, work with them, uh, as you can see, even with Kevin McCarthy. I mean, Kevin raised $485 million last year. Uh, he elected several of the people who voted against him wouldn't be in office if it weren't for him. It's just unbelievable. And McCarthy un understood and campaigned. He gained seats as leader in 2020. He gained a majority in 2022. Uh, he recruited women, minorities, veterans. Uh, he was really building a much more modern, much more problem-solving and effective party. Uh, and I think this is, frankly, a tragedy and, and uh, it's going to be very hard for us uh, to dig out of the mess we're in. Yeah, he's had a lot of criticism from the folks that are out there saying they want to get rid of the money in politics. And they've said, you know, we shouldn't be we should not have someone who can raise money. Matt Gates has gone out there and bragged about the fact that he's never taken money from companies. It's always individual people, individuals that are giving him money. But the reality is that's just not the case in every district. You're not going to be in a situation where in every district you can fight with just a few dollars, small dollar donations here and and be safe. I mean, we are in a battle against the other side and they have a massive amount of money. Why is it hard for folks to understand that you're not only do you have to raise money, but the spend, whether it is yard signs or TV commercials, there is a lot of spending in politics. I think it was 11 billion in 2020. So how could we do this without someone that can raise money? You know, you come from a state that has one of the best, I think Michiganders would argue, the best college football team in the country. Since I'm from Georgia, I'm not quite sure I agree with that. But it's certainly one of the top two teams in the country. What if somebody came along and said, you know, giving out all those scholarships is just wrong. Why don't we just field a team at Michigan that's only people who walk on, they don't get a scholarship, they're not recruited. Uh, you know, you get crushed. I mean, you couldn't play. You wouldn't be in the same yeah. league. And that's where we are here. We, yeah, we feel differently about our sports than our politics, I guess, sometimes. Huh? Well, we have a certain <laughs> hypocrisy about our sports. We pretend that, that they're more amateur than they really are. But the, the, the key thing is uh, you're up against a Democratic Party, which between labor unions, left-wing activist groups, billionaires like George Soros, uh, and the power of the incumbency uh, are enormously hard to beat. And if you want to have conservative values and conservative policies, you simply have to learn to master the art of raising enough money, fielding enough candidates, getting your message out and winning. It's a, it's a very, very challenging problem. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A lot of people say that Nancy Mace is going to have problems with this because the speaker made sure that she had the money she needed to win her race. And now she's going to have to raise her own money. Matt Gates is, as I said, bragging that he's not going to have to raise that much money. But he was sending out fundraising emails in the midst of this crisis. Now, what I find interesting is I've seen some of our congressmen pushing back in a different way than I've ever seen before. And I got to say, I kind of like it. My own congressman, Bill Heisinger, came out on Newsmax and he said, you know, they they asked him about the fundraise and they said, well, you know, this is pretty normal for people to fundraise. And Bill is a, a very calm Dutch man. And Bill said, this is not normal. I was impressed that he came out and said, no, you don't fundraise in the middle of a crisis. And don't tell me I'm going home this weekend because I'm here in Washington. We're all in meetings. We see this as a crisis. We saw Chip Roy, Steve Deese was saying to him, you know, I'm just mad about this. I'm sick and tired of this. And Chip Roy just went off on him and said, you know what? Screw you, essentially. I'm out there every weekend talking to people. And we had the North Dakota congressman who was on one of these stations a few days ago. And they said to him, Well, if you guys think that 
everything's so important in D.C. Why did you take a six week vacation? And I was impressed when I heard him say, you think it's a vacation when I go home? Because I go to talk to my constituents. I have meetings the entire time. I'm not on vacation. I'm actually doing more work when I'm home. Do you think it's a good thing to see some of these people get out there that are not the typical folks in the media, that are not the ones that are chasing cameras, that are out there saying, hey, wait a minute, knock it off. We are doing something in Washington, D.C. Yeah, look, I, I think we need a healthy civic conversation because I think people have <clears throat> forgotten how the how things really work. They've forgotten how the Constitution works. You hear these guys say, I'm not going to vote for another continuing resolution uh, until we pass all the appropriations bills. Well, the problem with that is the House can pass all the appropriations bills. It's already actually passed bills for 70 percent of the government. The Senate has not passed a single appropriations bill. Now, the House can't force the Senate to pass an appropriations bill. They can't force the president to sign an appropriations bill. So guess what? And at the end of the 45 days, they're probably going to have to pass another continuing resolution. And people will piously get up and say this is terrible. But they won't explain to you how they're going to get something out of the Senate. They won't explain to you how they're going to get Joe Biden to sign it. So they're living in a fantasy land. Uh, they're, they're pretending that the world exists that doesn't exist. Uh, and then they go home and they tell people, boy, that's all really terrible. Well, they're not telling people the truth. This is a very hard, very complex system. It was designed by the founding fathers to be this complicated so that no dictator could force it to work. And I think we have an obligation to try to do everything we can to get it to work. But when you have the kind of very short-sighted grandstanding. I tell people, these guys not only can't play chess, they can't even play tic-tac-toe. I mean, when they went out and they defeated uh, Kevin uh, as Speaker, they didn't have a plan. They had, they had no idea what was going to happen next. They just thought, well, I can do it. And how did they do it? They sided with all of the Democrats. Now, for those people who are confused about why I feel so strongly, imagine uh, whether the University of Michigan or the University of Georgia, to take our two examples, imagine that your offensive tackle turned and tackled your own quarterback. Would you let him stay on the right. field? Mm. Would you take away their uniform? Would you suggest to the rest of the team, hey, you, you feel like tackling our own quarterback, feel free? Or would you say, this is horrible. You're off the team. Well, you had some guys who had a legitimate right to complain. They had no right to sign with the Democrats. Because remember, 96%, that is 24 out of every 25 Republicans, voted with McCarthy. And a small group, eight people, decided they were so smart, they were so pure, they were so moral, they were so patriotic, that they had the right to defeat all of the rest of their conference. And how did they defeat them? They sided with the Democrats. And by the way, they had the arrogance to tell people that they were siding with the Democrats because McCarthy helped pass a, a continuing resolution with the Democrats. So they actually didn't exist without the help of the Democrats. And the truth is, McCarthy had tried to pass two very conservative continuing resolutions, which these guys voted against. I think we also need to call some of these people out because I would say Congresswoman Mace is out there uh, and she's sucking up to every camera that she can right now to make sure everybody knows that this was the choice she made. The last bill that was passed was the Mace Act. 
I mean, she named the bill after herself. She passed the Mace Act. You know, I've seen her on TV quite a bit recently, and she was boohooing about Matt Gates doing this in the first place back in January when he was going up against Kevin McCarthy and saying, we're not going to have him as speaker and we're going to have this one person that can vacate the speaker and all that. She was she was all opposed to that then. Why do this now? If you are getting what you want, if your sponsored bills are going to the floor and getting passed, why not say, actually, there are things getting done? I mean, when you have somebody who is the last person to get her bill passed and then she kicks the speaker in the butt, what does that tell the American people? Because they're certainly not hearing from her. Actually, the things I sponsored, I got passed. Look, I mean, I, I probably would use, I would probably say that she stabbed him in the back. But uh, I actually was with Kevin McCarthy in her district the last weekend before the election. And we were there campaigning. And Kevin and I think helped raise over a million dollars to get her reelected. And what's amazing is I think half, I think four of the eight people who voted to destroy him had actually gotten elected with his help and his support and his fundraising. So here are people who, and I think it's coming as a shock all of a sudden, they're looking at the possible replacements. None of them are going to raise 20% of what Kevin raised. Uh, and so they're going to face a real crisis next year because they're not going to have the resources to compete nationwide against the Democrats because they just fired their best and most effective fundraiser. So when you say that these folks are traitors and they need to be primaried, I mean, these are people who welcomed the speaker into their districts, welcomed the money he was going to give. And then, as you said, stabbed him in the back. And so you really are calling for folks to go out there and primary. I hope all eight of them get defeated in the primaries. I hope we keep the seats for the Republican Party. But I, I don't think you can tolerate people who decide on their own, Not again, you have every right to fight inside the conference. You have every right to make strong speeches. You have every right to make motions in the conference. What you don't have is a right to go out and ally with the Democrats to destroy your own party. And that's what they did. Now, maybe the word traitor sounds strong to some people, but if you don't have basic trust and you don't have basic integrity, uh, and you're willing to work with the Democrats to destroy the Republican majority, and by the way, as of right now, <clears throat> they can't enforce any subpoena in the Biden investigations as long as they have a speaker pro tem. So one of the side effects of Gates showboating is that they've stopped the effective investigation of Biden until they can get a speaker. And that may take a lot longer than people think. Right. Absolutely. Well, we have these young folks out there, these young influencers out there that are saying, you know, they've got to drain the swamp. They're all on the side. And I, I do think that this has caused a lot of these problems that we see where people are just that all or nothing mentality, you know, because if you have an all or nothing mentality on Twitter, you get a lot of followers. People like that. They want somebody that's going to say that. The reality is, you know, you've, you, these are the same people that support a president who wrote the book, The Art of the Deal. He was all about negotiating. President Trump knew you had to sit down and talk. But the influencers that have risen up under the tutelage or under the administration of Donald Trump, like Charlie Kirk, for example, they are saying something different. I want to play a clip from Charlie Kirk, and then I'd like you to sure. react to it. Here it is. I could not disagree more with former Speaker Newt Gingrich. And I'm disappointed to hear him say the word traitor. Man, that, that is, 
I'm going to just chalk that up because of how much respect I have for him of just kind of cable news excitement. I don't think he really believes that. You did the job. You know what it was to, I mean, you were the Speaker of the House. You're watching this from not a, a microphone, not a podcast studio, from someone who sat in that position. What's it like to have somebody who is a young influencer say that? Oh, look, I like Charlie. We do, I've done his show a lot. I think he's helpful on balance. My dad spent 27 years in the infantry in the United States Army, risking his life defending this country in World War II in Korea and in Vietnam. Uh, I take seriously the idea of duty, honor, country. I take seriously the idea that you owe loyalty and that you can't be a team if you're stabbing people in the back. I take seriously the idea, as I said a while ago, if you have an offensive tackle who tackles your own quarterback, what are you going to call him? What, I'll, tell, I'll be glad to say to Charlie, tell me the right word for somebody who betrays everybody on his side and does so with the active help of their opponents. That's what makes it infuriating. It wasn't a vote where eight Republicans said, I believe X, and then they lost because everybody else disagreed with them. No, this was a vote where eight Republicans set up a deal where the Democrats provided the votes to fire the Speaker of the House. Now, if that's not a betrayal, if that's not a form of treason to the Republican Party, not to the nation, but to the Republican Party, uh, I don't know exactly what you would call it. And so I'd be glad to hear what word Charlie or anybody else thinks is appropriate. But there's no question in my mind. These people went out and they crippled their own party. They were they did damage to their own party and they did it in alliance with the Democrats. And I find that totally unacceptable. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A lot of people say that this is a party in chaos right now. They say they don't even trust the Republican Party to govern. I mean, when you throw out your leadership, it looks like you can't govern. How do we bring it back? At what point is there a leader right now that you're looking at that you say that's the guy who will bring this back? Well, I mean, I, th- I think our nominee is going to be Trump. And I think Trump will be very helpful. But I think in the House, uh, they're going to have to sort all this out. This is the nature of self-government. This is the process of a free people talking to themselves. And sooner or later, they're going to have to figure out what they're doing. Uh, I think the country is increasingly upset with the Democrats uh, for real reasons. Uh, the price of living. I just filled up my truck yesterday and I put in uh, about $4.85 a gallon. Uh, folks mm-hmm. in California are paying $8 a gallon. You go to the grocery store and you look at the price of food. Uh, you look at uh, the price of electricity. Uh, the fact is that we have big problems. You, you look at a Baltimore school system. We're in five high schools. There's not a single student, not one, who can do mathematics out of five high schools. Uh, you look at a congressman last week getting carjacked at gunpoint in Washington outside his house. Um, there are These things are real. And while, while we're sloppy and we're making noise and it's certainly an important issue, The question of how we figure out governing the House with the Republican Party is much smaller in the average American's mind than the question of whether or not they can afford to eat, whether they're going to be physically safe, whether they're going to have another couple million illegal immigrants come in, whether their children are going to go to a school that's unsafe, drug-ridden, and with no education. I mean, I think that's why the Democrats in the end, they're, they're going to lose. It's a race between our being a little bit dumb and their being corrupt and totally incompetent and destructive. Uh, And it's an unfortunate way to think of it. We are not perfect, but we are so much less destructive and so much less dangerous to the average person that I suspect we're going to win a huge victory next year, despite our inability right now to bring ourselves together and get our act together. There are people who consider Trump a bull in a china shop, that his comments have caused some of this chaos, that they have created this divide. Do you think that Donald Trump caused the chaos? No, I think that you, you saw it developing with the Tea Party movement. Uh, you know, the American people are in turmoil. They're angry. Uh, they, they see their country being torn apart. They see left wingers, you know, suggesting that, that third graders ought to decide what their gender is. Uh, they see the teachers union demanding more money while nobody in the school learns any math. They're watching the United Auto Workers strike uh, the, the car plants, which is a huge help to all of our foreign competitors. I think the average American just thinks this is nuts. You watch a, a flash mob in Philadelphia. 
go through and steal $300,000 in 10 minutes. And you think to yourself, I mean, this can't be America. So I, I think there, there are deep things here. I think Trump, people turn to Trump because they want somebody strong enough to change the course of a system which is uh, gradually decaying and crippling the United States and threatening every American. And he, he clearly has weaknesses. Uh, but on the other hand, he has enormous strengths. I, I can't imagine anybody else who could take the beating he's had since 2016 and still be standing and still be campaigning. And as you know, uh, they're trying to get at him in every way they can because he terrifies the left. I always tell people it's not that Trump is a great conservative in the sense, say, that Reagan was. Uh, Trump is the best anti-left politician of my lifetime because he gets up in the morning and he exercises common sense. And if you exercise common sense, the left is going to go crazy. So he actually thinks <laughs> students true. should learn that two plus two equals four. Uh, he actually thinks that uh, we probably have men and women. Uh, he actually thinks that uh, work is better than dependency. I mean, he has all, you know, he thinks criminals ought to be locked up and you ought to be safe. I mean, if you're on the left, all these ideas just drive you crazy. But if you're everybody else in the country, you think, gosh, you're somebody who actually makes sense. And that's his greatest strength. So on Sunday, our pastor had a message of, it was about politics. And he said, we should not put our faith in a person or a politician or a president. We should put our faith in God. And I believe in that, obviously. I think that it, that would get us to the right person. If we were more focused on God, that would get us to the right person to be in the White House. But there are a lot of people that hold Donald Trump right up there at that level. Is there an opportunity for him to come out to draw people back to faith, but also to kind of appease what's going on right now and get the and make that statement that you made that you can get 80%. You can't get everything, but you got to come to the table. He's the master negotiator. Is it time for him to come out and say, Hey guys, we got to do our best. We can't get everything. Well, I think he can play a major role in the house right now by calling on the members, all the members, moderate, conservative, uh, no matter where they're from, to sit down, listen to each other, and find a way to become a team again. I mean, until they work out being a team, they got nothing. And I think Trump's natural instinct, he, he didn't become this successful and, and run this many golf courses and hotels and developments and office buildings without knowing how to run teams. Uh, he didn't win the presidency in, in 2016 coming out of nowhere without knowing how to build a team. Uh, and I think that uh, having him say, not try, not try to make the decision, because you can't. You cannot impose from the outside on freely elected independent people. But what you can do is you can inspire them to listen to each other and to find a solution. And that's what has to happen. So before I let you go, because there are a lot of young folks that are getting involved in politics and we do have a lot of influencers out there and, and we call them influencers because they influence people and they say a lot out there about politics. And, and I would say that, you know, even in this office here from this little podcast, we want to hope that we can get the message out to people. And you have a book out called March to the Majority. So what are those of us who are looking to march to the majority going to get from this book? Well, we wrote the book uh, both to describe the 16 years that we worked to create a majority and took 16 years to describe the four years where we negotiated very successfully with President Bill Clinton. Remember, this wasn't just about politics. 
We reformed welfare, going back to a work ethic. Uh, we cut taxes. We cut regulations. We balanced the federal budget for the only four years in your entire lifetime. Uh, we did it because, in a principled way, we built a team that worked together, that knew what it was doing. Uh, and as a result, uh, we were able to get things done. And I wrote March to the Majority in order for people not just to have it as a history book, but to have it as a playbook. Let's think of it as a cookbook for politics and government. I think anybody who wants to know how to be effective in uh, governing and how to be effective in politics would find March to the Majority a very, very useful book in getting those kind of messages out. Well, I think everybody should go read it because obviously folks would like to have you back there. They know they trust you. They believe in you. You've put this out there for us to learn. And Mr. Speaker, I just want to say I appreciate having you here today. It's been a wonderful conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. And thank you all for joining me and Speaker Newt Gingrich today. For this episode and others, you can go to TudorDixonPodcast.com, subscribe right there, or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a blessed day. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.